Welcome to the Confidence Conversation podcast with me, Joy Burnford. This show explores the world of women, work, and what it takes to feel more confident. Each episode offers inspiration, stories, and light-hearted discussions with business leaders and experts from around the world. A lack of confidence is not a crime. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, or a boost of confidence, grab a cuppa, go for a dog walk, or escape for a drive, and join us for today's conversation about confidence. And I'd like to say a big thank you to our partners, Capability Jane Recruitment, for helping us bring this podcast to life. They are a uniquely placed recruitment company which specializes in finding highly talented individuals that want to work flexibly. And if you know a business who could benefit from this recruitment service, get in touch on their website, quoting the Confidence Conversation. And if the business becomes a client, they'll thank you with a £100 gift voucher. focus for this season is being your best self and it's an absolute pleasure and honour to welcome Julie Baker as my guest today. Julie is Head of Enterprise, Climate Engagement and Partnerships at NatWest Group and we became friends after she spoke at one of our events a couple of years ago. She has been an amazing supporter and advocate of mine and I'm delighted she's joining me today to talk about making the most of your network. Good morning, Julie, and welcome to the Confidence Conversation. Thank you, Joy, and lovely to uh, talk to you today. Yes, it's brilliant to see you. And um, the theme for this season is Be Your Best Self, which I think at the moment can be quite hard for some people, especially at the moment during the pandemic. It's 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 been a really tricky year for us all. And I think the, 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 one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to share some real life examples of, you know, life is not always great for people, even if people seem confident on the outside. I think it's, it can be a really tough time. So the purpose of today is really to share some of your your stories. You always seem to be a very confident person. Is this true? It's probably true today more so than it was 30 years ago, Joy. But um, when I uh, was first appointed in my first leadership position um, 30 years ago, I certainly lacked in confidence. Mm. Um, I was the 14th of 14 assistant managers in Jersey Library Place Branch, the only female, and I was absolutely terrified Um, when in meetings with my colleagues and when addressing my team. And it was a real challenge for me, but I had a wonderful line manager at the time. He took me to one side, he really supported me, and he really made me step out my comfort zone. But bite-sized sort of steps, small small chunks, he he actually took me on stage in front of large audiences just to do small two-minute, if you like, presentations initially, just to build up that confidence. But no, I haven't always been confident. It's something I've had to really work on over the years. Yes. And how lucky you were to have a manager like that. Um, And you think about so many people who don't have such supportive managers um, and how tricky that must be. So where do you think um, over the years you've got that sort of courage and confidence from? Well, for me, um, it's the the role models that are out there. And I'm really fortunate today, as you know, to work for an amazing um, woman, Alison Rose, who was the first mainstream bank CEO. And uh, it's incredible when you see Alison sort of present to her leadership team, whether she's talking to the media, to government, but she is just as confident when she's talking to customers, to entrepreneurs. And uh, 
you know, so you, you do get inspiration and gain confidence from role models like Alison. Mm. But also it's the attendance of board meetings and the attendance of those, if you like, leadership positions. And not always just from your employer. Um, I have taken the opportunity over the years to sit on um, external boards and, and also committees. Um, I attend all party parliamentary group meetings. I'm a big people watcher and I just learn from others, especially some of the other leaders from other sectors. Really interesting. And, and just see what they do. Mm. And I think it's, you know, it's really interesting you talk about Alison Rose because you know, people must see people like Alison. I think she's she must be so uber confident, but I'm sure she has moments of not feeling confident. You know, it's, it's whenever anybody's pushed out of their comfort zone. And I think that's the purpose of this this podcast really, is to show that actually, you know, people might look really confident, but it doesn't come necessarily that easily to everybody. You know, it's actually you have to work hard at it and confidence is something that you can learn. So tell me, thinking back about a time when you've maybe lacked confidence and you felt really scared about either speaking up in a meeting, you know, how, how have you overcome that? So, so for me, it's probably early um, board meetings. Quite often when you're addressing senior um, members of um, your team, possibly internally within the bank, but also external situations. And, you know, quite often in those scenarios, especially in my younger days when I was the only female <clears throat> or one of one or two females around the table, it was really difficult to get your, your voice heard. And so you really had to learn how to navigate that, that boardroom, if you like, or that meeting room. And, and the way that I, um, you know, like, like to do that now is if I really want to get a message across, try and get on the agenda because then you've got the floor. If you can't get on the agenda, make sure you, you know, you're ready to ask a question, show an interest, again, get your voice heard and get, and give you the opportunity to get what you want to say across. And, you know, sometimes as females, our voices are a little bit softer. So we do have to just raise our voice a little bit. And I think it was the Sheryl Sandberg phrase, lean, lean in. I know absolutely what that means. You do have to make yourself present. Mm. So, yes, learned over the years of little ways to work uh, to get your voice heard around yes. that table. Yeah. And I remember, I think when we when we spoke for a Forbes article, you were talking about speaking to the chair ahead of a meeting. Quite often, if I haven't been able to get my voice heard and you're going back to a similar meeting, I would say I would go to the chair and say, I had a challenge last time. Can you make sure you bring me in? Mm. And they always do. And they actually mm. quite welcome those sort of conversations mm. I've found as well. Yeah. And having that courage to actually say that and not be afraid to say that. And the really good chairs, I've got to say, and, I, and there's some excellent chairs out there. They will make sure that everyone around the table gets a voice. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about networking and raising your profile. Because again, this is something that women tend to find. I personally don't mind networking, but I know a lot of people are scared of networking. Why is it so important to you, do you think, to be, you know, to be able to network? And I know, I know you have, again, in our article, we talked about networking and how it's important to listen, as well as it's not just about pitching. So I'd love to sort of hear a little bit about your, your thoughts around networking and, and, you know, why it's so important. Well, to me, to me, networking is a really good opportunity, one, to learn and get to know your marketplace, your community. But also, the wider your network, the greater the opportunities will be to you, whether it's you're looking for employment, for business and for support. So really in, in, you know, important that you build that network and, and, and profile and, and also the right networks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also now, of course, I'm talking of profiling there, but um, there's so many ways that you need to build that profile now within your network. And it's the external profile within the, you know, external stakeholders and partners you work with. 
It's your internal network with your internal colleagues and senior leadership team. But of course, there's that third and all important network today of your digital profile and enhances that as well. So, you know, you do almost have sort of three personas Mm. that you need to work on. Mm. And it's interesting bringing that sort of tech angle to it as well, because with the whole pandemic, you know, there's been so much sort of networking done online. And I, something I'm really interested in is the future of networking and actually how, you know, how is this going to move forwards? And I'd love to know if you've had any experience of some great networking, sort of online type networking over the past 12 months, if you had any experience of that. That's really interesting, isn't it, Joy? Because, you know, we did all wonder what it would be like when we pivoted all of those events that we used to attend to online. And what we found is, particularly with women in business, we've had good attendance at the digital events. And, you know, why is that? So we've asked for feedback. They like the fact they don't have to travel. They like the fact it's okay if the kids are running around in the background. You don't have to get a childcare. You can put yourself on mute if you need to. And, and it's sort of deemed acceptable now that you may get interrupted by a homeschooling question. But, but also it's less time out of the day. And, you know, and we are very busy and we juggle all sorts. So just by having a 45 minute slot in your diary to be able to connect you to some like minded people or people that can help you gain, you know, important information, educational type material profile your business you know it's well worthwhile so we've seen really good attendance at the uh, and the digital events and although I know we all miss that face-to-face interaction and that energy we get from each other and being in the room I do think going forward there will be a hybrid of both because we've got to take the learnings from the fact that we don't need to be out the office for three hours or go out one evening for three hours we can network and be just as successful in a shorter time. Mm, absolutely. I think maybe that human interaction bit can come in a different way. So you're still yeah. getting that. I know I'm missing that sort of human interaction. Um, but that's interesting. Another thing we've spoken about before is about negotiation and the importance of negotiating. And I think, again, this is sometimes, and I'm being very generalistic here, but I think sometimes women don't feel that they can negotiate things like pay rises as much as men. Tell me a bit about your experience with negotiation over the years and how you've improved your, your yes, uh, techniques. Well... I'd like to say the early years, but it was probably for about the first 25 years of my career. I really didn't negotiate, not when it came to salary. And strangely enough, I'd I'd, um, experienced roles where I'd negotiated with clients on things like fees. But when it came to my salary, I totally trusted my employer, my line manager, didn't for one minute perceive there'd be a gender pay gap. And I felt quite probably embarrassed and disappointed when all the gender pay gap reporting came out. And it was then I did start asking questions and I realised, yes, there was a gender pay gap. And, you know, at that time, male colleagues that were probably doing similar roles to myself had been paid, you know, disproportionately more, which is, you know, what the gender pay gap is all around. And, and, And it is particularly high, albeit getting better in the financial services. I've got to say today, totally different story. Since that reporting has come out, not only do I negotiate my own pay, but I encourage in all of the presentations and everything I do, the mentoring that everybody negotiates on pay. But also I do tackle, you know, the HR partners and our leaders. And and I'm delighted to say that at NetWest Group, that all of the leaders have an objective within their sort of annual objectives all around diversity and inclusion, and uh, it's far more fairer today than it would have been 30 years ago. But we are on a journey, and that levelling up, not just with gender, but um, ethnic minority groups as well, Mm -hmm. is something we all need to work towards. Mm -hmm. But the good news is now it's more transparent, it is reported on, and it's more positive. 
but but yes, you know, something I would recommend that uh, everybody does every year, especially when you're getting promoted. Don't just take it for granted that you'll get a pay rise or what they're giving you is is the right. Do negotiate. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, gosh. So what would I give to my younger self? Well, obviously negotiate my pay. But other than that, the one thing that, especially as a mother, a working mother of two children, I know mine are now grown up, but at the time, I do wish I had the confidence to delegate more. And now being a more experienced leader, I know that the art of delegation, if done right, does help you develop other people and help them get that next role and progress their careers. So so learning to delegate in the right way, but also, and equally as important, is saying no. Sometimes, especially, you know, we're nice people, we want to help everybody, but there's only so many hours in the day, so you do have to uh, to say no. Or say, no, sorry, I can't do it, but signpost or introduce them to somebody else who can help, and that's just as uh, effective. Absolutely, and I think, I suppose delegating when you're sort of younger in your career is quite difficult sometimes because you don't necessarily have people to delegate to. So what would your recommendation be to people who might think, well, yeah, I'd love to be able to delegate, but who do I delegate to? <laughs> You're absolutely right. And and I do think that is something that uh, does need discussion around the table because not everybody can delegate, but it doesn't always have to be to somebody within your team. It, it could be somebody who's looking for a development opportunity. And, and certainly at the moment, um, we're, we're looking at volunteers across the bank to help mentoring programs. And, you know, we partner with organizations like the Princess Trust and always looking for mentors. And there's no way I could just do it from, from my team. My team's too small. So delighted that Princess Trust launched a mentoring portal in January and we've had 450 colleagues put their hand up across the business to volunteer. And I just think, how amazing is that? I'm so proud that, you know, I work for an organisation that does that. So we don't always have to do it ourselves. We just have to be innovative and thinking of ways of asking for help from, from other people. I think the other area which I'm far more receptive of today than I was early on in my career is the... Uh, the acceptance of feedback and actually seeing feedback, however it may be put across as a gift. I think in the early days, sometimes it can be seen as a criticism, but no, just listen and actually reflect on it. And it is a gift. And I think that gets easier as you get older and more experienced. Brilliant. So can we talk a little bit about your sort of personal challenges when you started out? So starting um, your family in the Channel Islands. I know you've told me stories before about that. I'd love to hear about, you know, how you started out and how you juggled with your children and that sort of thing. Yes, it was. It, reflecting back on on um, my early years of motherhood is uh, is quite unbelievable today because, you know, there I was in the Channel Islands in my sort of mid to late 20s with a young daughter, she was born prematurely. My parents were on the mainland and all of my friends on the island, because I went over there to work for the bank, they were colleagues. They were all at work. So it's a very lonely existence. So you really had to work at getting a support network around you. It was through one of my husband's colleagues, whose wife was a nurse and they also had a young daughter, that I managed to befriend, if you like, somebody outside of the workplace. And, and this nurse had to work nights so that her and her husband could juggle the childcare. So they never saw each other. And they had a two-year-old daughter. So I actually spoke to her one day because she hated what she did. And the fact that her and her husband never saw each other. And I said, if I pay you your nurse's salary, would you also look after caring my daughter and become a childminder, which she absolutely loved and did. So that was how I managed to be 
quite creative and get, you know, myself back to work, knowing that my daughter was in safe hands. Mm-hmm. I had a lovely two-year-old to play with as well, and it, it worked really, really well. But it was a challenge in Jersey. You know, they didn't have lots of day nurseries or, or nannies, sort of almost, well, it is 30 years ago. And, and as I said, my family wasn't there, so I didn't have that support network around me. Totally different when I had my son four years later because we were back on the mainland. I had family that would come and support at school holidays. You know, I had neighbours, we had friends, we had other school parents that you would juggle and help each other. And at that time as well, I could afford some paid sort of support. But no, I think it's really important to get that support network. None of us can cope without it. And that's both at home and at work, but especially at home when you've got young children. But um, yeah, you do. I had to be creative and I continued being creative as well. Yeah. Because when my son and daughter are a little bit older, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Joy, but rather than go to after-school clubs, I got a farmer's daughter to come in. So she milked the, do- uh, the cows in the morning. <laughs> milked the daughter. In. Yeah, no, you didn't milk my daughter, sorry. <laughs> she would milk the cows in the morning. Then she would come um, to our house. I would leave at 8 o'clock. She'd take the kids to school. She would pick them up from school. And then when I got home, she would go back and milk the cows again in the evening, I suppose. It, was, it, it just worked really well. But the kids loved being off sick because if they had sick days, they could go and make a magic, they used to call it a magic bed in the farmhouse. And they got to see calves being born and all sorts. And, uh, and of course, school holidays on the farm as well. So it worked really well. Oh, brilliant. Sort of sticking with um, Channel Islands, I think you told me once about your boss, and I think you maybe referred to your boss earlier about sort of the key thing about sponsorship and being tapped on the shoulder. And I'd love to just hear your, your thoughts about the importance of sponsorship. It is so important. And I was very lucky that early on in my career, first of all, he, I suppose, went against what would normally happen when you appoint the next leader in a branch. So when I was appointed that 14th assistant manager, the expectation was that other males that had been in the, the branch longer would have got that position. And, and he was okay to actually go against the norm because he he just, I suppose, instilled the confidence in me and knew that I could do the role right. And he actually wanted, he, he was before his time, he saw the value of having somebody different around the table rather than somebody else who looked the same as everybody else. So he was before his time. And I'm not sure whether I shared with you before, Joy, but I did have the opportunity to work with him again about five years later when I returned to the uh, the mainland. And at that time, I'd gone back to work after having my second child. I was an administration manager. He came in as the senior manager, very much his last role about to retire. And uh, he said, Julie, he said, I'm going to get at you looking after some commercial customers. He said, you don't want to be an admin. He said, uh, you're too good to be an admin. And, and so he, he took me under his wing and we used to go out and see all the commercial clients, which was hard work because it was extra work for me because I was, you know, working full time, juggling two young children at that stage. But if he hadn't done that and given me the confidence and the skills to look after commercial clients, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And so it's just incredible, really, that, you know, I, I, I do owe him a lot. And the, he would always push me outside my comfort zone. He would also, you know, set me tasks there to support, but set me challenges. You know, I, I just wish he was around today to see what I'm doing now. Unfortunately, oh. he, he didn't live long to retirement, but um, I do owe him a lot. That's amazing. So a message to all those managers out there. Think about who you can sponsor. Absolutely. 
So thinking a little bit about the future and what we can learn from the last 12 months from, you know, how the whole sort of COVID pandemic, I'd love to know sort of how working remotely has impacted you personally or has it um, personally and for the business? You know, what in what sense has that sort of had an impact on you? Yeah, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Because until COVID hit, I didn't actually like working from home. So although I had local days, I used to choose to go into the local Winchester office, which was above the branch, and at a lovely time could walk down the hill, and and it was um, it was all wonderful. Then of course COVID hit, and um, it was the 11th of March was uh, 2020 was my last day in London, and by the 23rd of March, Alison Rose had come out with the message that everybody would be working from home. So that was um, almost 60,000 people working from home, and you know we adapted really well and really quickly. You know, we did have to pivot a lot of what we do into digital. We've already talked about the networking events. But, of course, instead of face-to-face meetings, we're doing Zoom meetings. And, you know, in time, we've all adapted. And actually, you know, sometimes we've probably gone too far and we've become like machines and you get that Zoom fatigue because you've been on Zoom far too long and you haven't had the breaks in between. But, you know, for me personally, what I've enjoyed about it is I've seen more of my neighbours and my local community and got to know walks that I didn't know in the last year than I did in the previous four years that um, I worked here. Uh, Sorry, lived here. Mm -hmm. You know, I I took three golf lessons before COVID and I've had time to actually take more lessons and practice golf. I wouldn't have had time to do that if COVID hadn't happened. And the courses haven't always been open, but it's one of those things that you need time for and I didn't have that time. Business-wise, you know, I... I miss not seeing my team because I do get energy um, from others. But the good news is we are still able to do a lot of what we do um, did before via Zoom and remotely. And, you know, some of that will continue. Mm. Your point about being out, you know, go out on the golf course, how important that whole health and well-being aspect is actually. And hopefully a silver lining of the pandemic is that people might have done more to look after themselves. So... Do you think COVID is an opportunity for change to set the future for working women? I know we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, women potentially prefer to have a bit more flexible working with children at home, potentially. Uh, Something I'm worried about is the going back to the office and that potential two track system so that you might get men automatically returning to the office and women potentially wanting to still do some flexible work and we revert back to the old way of working. How do you see that whole thing, you know, interested to know sort of NatWest group, what your thoughts are about returning to work and making sure that it, you do get that balance of that home working versus, you know, the flexibility and the, the sort of the whole hybrid model? Uh, no, no, that's a really, really good question. It's something we're all th- thinking about and, and the world is changing and we're changing with it, not just because of COVID-19. So even before the pandemic, uh, pandemic, you know, we were looking at new ways of working, not just um, to make it more flexible for females, but for obviously for all of our employees and looking at giving more options with where, when and, and how we worked. Um, so lockdown happened and the majority of our staff have been working from home, as we discussed since March last year. So we have more recently set up a ways of working team. And this is actually set in our HR or or headed up by our HR transformation team. And it will complement our existing property transformation um, strategy as well. And you will have seen in the paper, a lot of the financial institutions are downsizing on their property footprints. Mm -hmm. So through new ways of working, we'll help to build probably more resilience by supporting all aspects of life and contribute to colleagues' well-being 
not just their working career, but importantly, we need to invest in skills for the future, opportunities for colleagues in this new world. So we will need to reskill and grow, you know, and, and we've all learned new digital skills, haven't we, over the last, the last 12 months. And we also need to think, okay, so what will job mobility look like in the future, knowledge sharing and on-the-job learning, particularly for new recruits, you know, how are we going to make this journey, you know, right for that, that next generation? Um, so it's not just about emerging from the pandemic. It's more about, you know, how we want to work in the future. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the experience of all our colleagues, either at home or in the office, and, and you've mentioned already, well-being has got to be at the heart of it. Mm. So the office will still be there. Some people will need to be based in offices as well. You know, it, we do need people in our branches, and it yes. may be some specialist roles need to be in the office 100% of the time. But for a lot of the other roles, and, and my team included in this, it may be two days a week in an office, or it may even be, I don't know, one week a month, but it will be a hybrid. And that's what we're looking at now with this um, ways of working team. So, you know, we're modeling, we're designing, and we're looking at remote working. And, you know, and is it right we bring people together to collaborate and connect in the office? And so maybe using offices for different things to what we did do previously. And they'll probably look different because of that. Brilliant. Thank you. And so before we finish, I'd love to just ask you, who inspires you and why? Oh, gosh, who inspires me? Well, um, we've, we've already talked about Alison Rose um, because obviously she was the first ever CEO, female CEO of a mainstream bank. But not just because she was a female CEO of a mainstream bank, but because she had that unique, if you like, commitment of coming out as a purpose-led organisation you know, becoming a more sustainable business that delivers better outcomes for customers, colleagues, shareholders and communities. No other bank has done that. It's always been about money. So absolutely, you know, Alison inspires me every single day of the week. But but also, and I don't know whether you're watching at the moment, Joy, um, the programmes with Greta Thunberg. You know, how how inspiring is she? She's from that next generation or even the generation after that. But she's brave enough to challenge world leaders mm. at that young age to, you know, to take immediate action to save the planet. Mm. And I just think, you know, when we talk about confidence, there's probably not a better role model at the moment than her because, <laughs> you know, she is challenging, you know, yeah. world leaders. And, yeah. you know, Absolutely. You can see that inner strength yeah. in her, can't you, as well? Yeah. yeah. And I think for her, you know, she inspires me, but actually she'll be inspiring, you know, every age, but in, in particular the school children, the teenagers and the youngsters as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Julie. It's been a delight and a pleasure as always to have you on the podcast and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Joy. Really enjoyed it as always. Lovely. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. it for this week thank you very much for listening if you know anyone who might find this podcast useful please do keep the conversation going and pass on a link and it would give me a real confidence boost if you could leave a review and subscribe if you like what you've heard join us at the confidenceconversation.club where i'll be sharing tips and notes from each episode and you can send in your ideas for future topics and remember if you know a business who could benefit from capability jane's recruitment service do get in touch via their website quoting the confidence conversation and if the business becomes a client they'll thank you with a hundred pound gift voucher and until next time bye for now